0: You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ family of churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. Let's say a quick prayer. (laughs) Father, (laughs) thank you again. God, I pray you bless Raven as she goes. Pray for all of our students. All of our students eventually are going to go. And I pray that we continue to build a great home here. Home is this place that we try and make for you, church. And God, as we celebrate Christmas season coming up, I just pray again, you really send your spirit to us, that we have a great Christmas. But we have a great Christmas remembering you, remembering what we're about as Christians, remembering what our faith is about, and remembering what we're trying to do collectively as a church. Bless our efforts. Heal Many, help us be a great light to our community. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, what we're doing the next three weeks, or through December here, is a series, um, prophet, priest, and king. So today we're going to talk about Jesus being a prophet and what that means. And I think that's pretty simple, or it's simple and it's not simple. All of these roles in the Old Testament, you got a lot of them. You see priests, you see kings, you see prophets. They're all over the place in the Old Testament. I like this for our teens and for our young people to understand because I know for them the Old Testament is challenging. It's difficult. But we believe that the whole Bible is about Jesus. Amen. And all these roles, they end up being fulfilled by a person But they almost always have a flaw and they're not perfect and they sin or have issues or trouble. But Jesus comes as the perfect king. Amen. Jesus comes as the perfect priest, mediator. Jesus comes as the perfect prophet, the one giving a message that's bigger than himself. And so today we're talking about Jesus in his role or his form as prophet. And when we think about the prophets, I want you to think a little bit about this. To be a prophet, I don't know what you think of when you think of a prophet. What do you think of when you think of prophet? There were a lot of them. They weren't all men. I think there's roughly five prophetesses in the Old Testament. And we know there's five prophetesses in the New Testament. So, not just a gender-specific role. We think of them as telling the truth, of being compelled. I think of a prophet as, as having a message, needing to deliver God's Word, and that being more important than their very lives. So, if that's not you, maybe you're a little bit more of a politician. Because politicians have messages... But rarely are those messages more important than their very lives. And I think what makes a spiritual prophet, and of course Jesus in this case, special, unique, different, is that their message literally is more important to them than their very lives. Hence, we have some of these strange stories about prophets in the Old Testament. One, Ezekiel. Okay, here's a guy, and God tells him, I need you to go prophesy. You're a prophet. Now, you know... Some of us think this would be really cool. This is like, you know, you're on the blacktop and George is the captain of the soccer team and you get picked first. I want you. You're my guy. We're playing kickball. But what God asked Ezekiel to do is lay on his side for 390 days and prophesy to everybody at the city gates as they're coming and going. 390 days. And then after that's done, he's got to lean over on his other side and do 40 more days. And this is symbolic that they're going to be in captivity, 309 days and then 40 years and this stuff. But that's a long time to be laying on your side. And then he says, but don't sweat it for food. I got you covered. You can cook food, but only over human excrement. So, you know, you might not be a math major, but this is roughly 430 days, right? Right. Uh, that would be. If God ask you to do that today. That would that would be. You need to do this until Wednesday, February sixth, two thousand nineteen. We'll put you at the Santa Monica Pier, or at the gates of UCLA, or Santa Monica College, or 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 City Hall, or wherever. Brentwood Country Club. That'd be funny. Chipotle. I don't know. And, and God says, oh, yeah. And, and by the way, nobody's even going to pay attention to you. So I got to give you this forehead of Flint. I'm going to give you a forehead of Flint. I'm going to make you tough. That's, that's a tough calling. Right, troops? That's a tough calling. But again, what it illustrate? That God has a, a message for us and that if you're a prophet, you care about that more than your very life. That's remarkable. I don't know how many of us would get excited about that job. Isaiah, we think of Isaiah as being awesome. Well, that guy, he's one of the best writers. Isaiah 40 to 66, some of the best literature ever. But, you know, God does ask Isaiah to walk around through Jerusalem for three years naked and barefoot. Okay, I got a job for you. You got to tell the people it's not going well. Okay. And you need to do it naked and barefoot. Can you imagine? Oh, here comes Isaiah again. Do we say hello? You know, last time he tried to hug me, I wasn't feeling good about that. Holy kiss is out. Maybe a handshake. Fist pump. What's up, Isaiah? How is it going? Two years you've been doing this. I know. Can you imagine asking him? I know. I think I only have another year. Ah, just tough. Hosea, Hosea, Hosea is stunning. Hosea is a prophet, God, Hosea, yes, uh, I need you to be my prophet. Okay, cool, preach the word, I'll be an important guy, right? We all want to be important, we think being a prophet would make us important. He says, okay, what I want you to do is, there's there's this prostitute, her name's Gomer, and I want you to go marry her. What? What? Yeah, 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 I want you to marry this this prostitute Gomer. And what his whole marriage was supposed to symbolize is God's unfaithful relationship with Israel. But literally, he asked Hosea to marry a prostitute, and they have three kids. And it's, I, you know, Hosea, I don't think, he's feeling really inspired. He, uh, I forget the name of the first child. The second child, is, I think, is Lo-Rumaha, which means, like, n- child not loved. That's your name. How about Bob. <laughs> Child not loved. And lo ami is, uh, someone has to help me. Forgotten child, little child, just not good. Not good child. Okay, great. Um, So, again, this is hard. And then after these kids, then Gomer goes back to being a prostitute. Tough marriage. Tough marriage. Tough role as a prophet. Jeremiah, this is sort of interesting, not as devastating, but Jeremiah says, God says to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, I want you to I want you to take your I want you to wear some underwear. He says, and apply no water to it. All right? So we're not washing our underwear. Teens, are you paying attention? I'm sorry. That's probably not right. It's probably more campus students. Campus students, you're paying attention. You know what I'm talking about. This is one of the great life skills. I don't, we don't care if you get an A in organic chemistry. Learn how to wash your clothes. Get an A in that. He says, take off your, your sticky underwear and put it, in the, put it in the cleft. Okay. And then he says, and now go back to it later and prophesy to the underwear. I don't know. I would prefer that to Isaiah's job and Ezekiel's job. But it is, or Hosea's job. But you just don't know. And there's something in this message, again, that's bigger than your concerns, that's bigger than your life, that's bigger than the thing that, that your, your daily concerns. So, so Jesus comes and one of his roles is as a prophet. Now, Jesus doesn't do any of the things that these four prophets do. But he's got a message. His message is from God. And his message, obviously, we know how the story ends, is bigger than his life. You want, you need to be a part of a message that's bigger than your life. And sometimes we're in church, and church doesn't feel like we're really connected or that it's churchy, and I get that. And you know what it is? You know why it doesn't feel good? Because it doesn't feel like you're part of a message that's bigger than your life. And that's not so much, yeah, we're working on building a better church. We're always working on that. But you have to be working on building your faith. And your faith is about can you make your faith, can you use your faith to connect to this message that's bigger than your life. That's a, that's a life exercise right there. We never finish that exercise. We're still in the middle of that exercise and if you're a teen or a campus student, jump on board. Uh, it's, a life, it's a lifelong. It's a lifelong challenge. Okay, so some of the uh, this is a famous Christmas scripture, Isaiah nine verse six. For to us a child is born. This is what um, Linus. This is what Linus? in in uh, Charlie Brown Christmas when he gives his famous speech with the Christmas tree. This is this is what he's refer- this is what he's reading. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Here we go. Prince of Peace. Alright, now let's just pause. The Christian experience, a God experience, is supposed to have this quality to it. Of peace. And we're going to sing all these Christmas songs, and half of them say something about peace. But most of the people that we talk to every day, very few people are having a very peaceful experience in their lives. If you're behind on a bill, you're not feeling very peaceful right now. If your marriage is distressed, you're not feeling a lot of peace right now. If you have a final in chemistry next week, you're not feeling a lot of peace right now. If there's a history AP professor, teacher that doesn't like you, you don't have a lot of peace. If you're lonely, it's hard to experience peace. Peace is a challenge. I'll talk a little bit more about this later. Peace is not a thing that you get in a box for Christmas. I do think peace is an exercise. I do think peace is a spiritual discipline. I think it's there, but I think you have to go to it. I think a lot of us expect, I'll say a prayer, or I'll come to church, and peace will come upon me. It's not like the Immaculate Conception. It's out there for you, but you have to go to it. But most of us don't go to it because we feel anchored, burdened, chained, stressed. And so peace becomes a challenge for us, something for us to grow on. Now, I've been a Christian for close to 30 years. You don't get peace. It's one of these things. You don't get it. I found it, and now I always have it. Just It's fragile. It's fragile. It's sort of like the manna. We're having an experience, not peaceful. What was this? Friday night. I have a child that I love. Amen? And we're working on a paper. Dad, can you help me with my paper? I would love to, because I want to be a good dad. But two minutes in, I gave her some input, and she didn't like it, and she gave me some input. And so I tried it again. I gave her some input, and she didn't like it, and again, she gave me some input. And after about 20 minutes, I thought, maybe I should just write my own paper, and you write your own paper. And... We'll just compare them. <laughs> and it was about seven, thirty or eight, and so we were hungry, and that doesn't go well for either one of us at all. And we we're babysitting a friend's dog, which we love. That's a super fun experience for us. that's close to eight. We fed the dog, feed the dog in the bathroom and and I think oh, we've been working on this for a little bit. I'm going to check on the dog. The dog might need to use the bathroom, but literally not use the bathroom because you want the dog to go to the bathroom outside. And then we hear the door. uh, the door. It's this wonderful person. It's Tanya. Tanya's mom's home. And she comes in, and we're hungry. Have you eaten? No, we haven't eaten. We're working on this. Where's the dog? The dog's in the bathroom. We, We better check on the dog. Check on the dog. Explosion of diarrhea everywhere. The crowd always loves that part of the story. And I look at Tanya, <laughs> and I think, I, I think we're actually doing really well. I know when you come home, <laughs> at this moment, right, wives? It might look like we're not trying very hard. What are these guys doing at home when we're gone? And we go into, you know, fix mode. Everything got cleaned up, Everybody got fed, and a paper got written, and it was great. But for that moment, right, people, then this is like everyday stuff we go through all the time. This is just stuff. How much peace do you have? None. And you know what's funny? Uh, we had the Charlie Brown Christmas music going on in the background. It was Christmassy. It was Christmassy. It's a little bit like being at Disneyland, right? It's the happiest place on earth. And there's a child on the ground having a tantrum. I want cotton candy. Dad is screaming at the wife. This is your problem. (laughs) The happiest place on earth. No, I think peace is important. So now you ask yourself, though, okay, let's start over. Today, right now, as we sit here, how much peace is in your life? talk a lot about this, about practicing presence, about trying to be present. What does this mean? People have an idea. Oh, I get what that means, being present. Yeah, I get what that means. I don't know what that means. We always know what that means when we're not present. What does not present look like? Stressed out, angry, sad, bitter, hungry, tired. Uh, I don't know. We know what not present feels like. But Present? How do, you, do you feel present as we sit here today? How do you know that? Well, if you're really preoccupied with lots of other things, you're not very present. If you're in pain, it's hard to be present. If you're bored, it's hard to be present. If you're thinking about other things, it's hard to be present. When we're here, we're here to worship and we want to be present. And if you don't get into a state of being present, you don't get a lot out of worship. But that's like peace. It's a thing that you have to cultivate inside of you. Are you very present right now? You're never going to really experience peace if you can't get to a place where you're good at becoming present. We have a lot of mindless conversations. How's it going? Good. How are you? Blah, blah, blah. The weather, the football team, the this, the that. But it's just mindless. They're scripts, but they're not real conversations. And we go away, there's not a lot of connection. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. How much peace is in your life? My challenge for us is to find more peace. We're going to read this passage later. But Jesus doesn't give us peace like the world gives us peace. The world does offer us peace. Now think for a minute. How does the world offer us peace? A lot of different ways. If you buy buy my product, you'll be happier. You'll probably have more peace in your life. A lot of consumerism. Probably militarily. You know, if we're stronger than the uglier guys, we can sleep in peace. Maybe politically, right? We have more votes, so we can be at peace. We know when we're not at peace. What does the world? How does the world offer peace? Jesus says, "I don't give you peace like the world gives you." Jesus doesn't pay a bill. Jesus doesn't, you know, fix your car. Jesus isn't going to give you more money. Um, if Jesus Jesus isn't a therapist. He's not going to work out a relation, relationship problem for you. He kind of is, but he isn't. Where are you going to find peace? This is an exercise that you have to start on by being present. And a lot of people don't like being present. You've heard me refer to it before. But th- two years ago, they did a study at UCLA. About 500 kids, so it's a good sample size and they're supposed to be in a room with their own thoughts for roughly 12 minutes. And they're hooked up to electrodes. And if they don't like being alone with their thoughts, they can take a sting from the electrode, which is a pretty good zap. It's about, it's about a bee sting. It's about a bee sting. And then you can be let out of the experiment. And almost 80% of the men couldn't stand it and preferred the zap and left the experiment. Uh, high 60s for the women what's that mean we don't like being present with our own thoughts we don't want to be alone with our own thoughts the practice of peace means as a spiritual discipline i i like my values i care about my faith and to be alone with my thoughts lets me be present with those things And if you're never going to be comfortable with those things, then you're never going to experience peace. And Christmas will just be about presents and family and holiday stress. And that's not what Jesus is about. In the song, first point, Holy Night. Long lay the world in sin and air pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. And the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new glorious morn. Fall on your knees, hear the angels' voices. Somebody was inspired when they wrote that line. Wow. Does your soul, are you experiencing the worth of your soul? That's what peace does when you have peace. Uh, Paul says in Romans 5, Therefore now we have, right, what? Peace with God. That should be the most profound experience anybody ever has. Peace with God. Fall on your knees. Hear the angels' voices. That's that's what we're to be experiencing. But what if there was no gifts? But what if there was no turkey? Right? The Grinch. Uh, But what if there was no stuff? but what if there wasn't all the activity? What if there wasn't all the consumerism? This is what it's supposed to be about. Teens, you're supposed to experience this for Christmas. Campus students, this should be your Jesus Christmas experience. You should be celebrating this. This should fill your minds and your hearts when you practice being present. And you can throw off stress and drill down into who you are as a person. That's what Jesus is trying to bring us. Peace I leave you, John 14, 27. Peace I leave you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And, ooh, this is hard. Do not be afraid. Well, I love that passage, but who's not afraid? Everybody has a fear. Everybody has a fear. I want you to think right now, two, three things. What are you really afraid of? What are you really afraid of? Gosh, i have i have I have friends that have gone through divorce and that terrifies me that terrifies me i I so desperately want my marriage to be sacred and for us to glorify God in our relationship the the Christian not being able to experience a healthy marriage that's t- that scares me. I was, talking to, I was talking to a minister last week, and he's in the process of, of losing his child, but kind of back to the world. Uh, the child's, 20, child, child's 21. It's like, I've been in the ministry 25 years, and my child is rejecting God, leaving the church, walking away, and I feel like I have no value. I feel worthless now. I feel worthless now. Now my life doesn't matter. All those years doing ministry, now my life doesn't matter. What is that? That's just a fear. That's not true, right? But that's just a fear. My life will never matter now. No, that's not true. But I understand the fear. We all have some real fears. I fear getting old. Don't we all? I mean, we can say that I'm a Christian now and I want to die and go to heaven. That's cool. But the process of getting there is kind of scary, you guys. We have some real fears. I'm afraid of being a minister. I'm afraid of being a minister. And nothing happening. Yeah, I fear that. He ah, spend all that time, he spend all that energy, and nothing happens? Well, I thought that when I read Ezekiel again this week. Wow, he spent all that time? I've never spent that kind of commitment or energy, and nobody responded? I don't know. if the Like Jonah... If the whole city's going to respond, okay, yeah, I'll give up anything. That's awesome. Because it, it resolves well. It's a good story. But if nobody responds, that's meaningless. That, that's an anathema to me. That terrifies me. I'm afraid of being a minister that has no effect. Yeah, I fear that. What do you fear? Secondly, hark the hair angels' things. Listen to this. Hail the heaven-born prince of peace. Hail the son of righteousness, light and life to all. Listen to this, this is awesome. He brings risen with healing in his wings. You know, it doesn't matter where you are. It always matters that you're that you're going forward though. Where are you where are where are you at today? Doesn't matter. Every day is a starting point. This is where we start. I'm doing terrible. I've had a bad week. I've been in sin. I've been depressed. I've been anxious. I've been angry. I've been a bad week at work. I got fired. I did bad at school. Bad test. We all start somewhere. But Jesus gives peace. Why? Because there's real healing in those wings. Healing to what? Power to do what? Power to do what? To pull you up. To get you back on your feet. To strengthen you again. Healing where? Healing in His ways. Healing in the world? No. Very little. There's some numbness out there. Healing? Numbness. Healing's in Jesus. Healing's in His message. Healing's in that Gospel. Healing's in Him. Not in the world. I love this passage, Isaiah 26. You will keep in perfect peace. You will keep in perfect peace. Him, her. Whose mind is steadfast. That's what we want you to cultivate. This is your first time visiting. You've been doing this 30 years. This is your challenge. Whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. That's what's in the manger. That's what's in our stockings. That's what the tree is about. Let every Christmas symbol, tradition, meal remind you of this. That this is what it's supposed to be about as far as our lives go. America today, you guys know this, depression. Every given year, any given time in America, any given given time, at any given time in America, we think about 1 in 10 are experiencing diagnosable depression. We think about 1.5, between 1 and 2, are experiencing diagnosable anxiety. And we're at a 40-year high with suicides. We're at a 40-year high there are 121 suicides in America every single day. It's about five an hour. So we spent a little over an hour at church today. That's that's a, that's maybe six suicides. People that have no hope. People that have no peace. People that have no peace. I was leading um, um, a group for um, addiction on uh, last Monday. And um, we're just starting. So step one, if you have ever done 12 steps, step one is that you're powerless, that you're powerless. You don't have any power. You're in an addiction. You've sort of lost control of your life. And it's admitting, not being in denial, it's admitting that you're powerless. Well, that's true for all of us. Amen. Especially the Christian, we say amen. We say amen. Second step is then finding a higher power. So you have to commit to a higher power. If it's just pure AA, you've got to commit to a higher power. So afterwards, um, I had a a, a session with a a woman in her mid-40s. And she says, you know, I'm on the second step. I'm on the second step. And she's been a meth addict for about 20 years. I'm on the second step. But I'm having a hard time with higher power. What? I don't know. I don't have a higher power. Well, tell me your story. Why is it so hard? She was abused sexually by her father and her uncle until she was 25 years old. She was abused sexually by her father and her uncle until she was 25 years old. Anytime anybody uses this word higher power, all I think of is leader, person in authority. And I just run away. Authority only means somebody's going to take advantage of me. I am anti-authority because I don't want to be taken advantage of anymore. I'm powerless to those who take advantage of me. So you can see where this person gets stuck. And it's sort of sad. I mean, we spent... A, so we got to choose somebody. If you don't want... What are you going to choose? you got to go with something. She picked her dog. I said, do you want your dog to be your higher power? Yes. Why? You guys know. Because it's the only thing that I've ever been with that loves me unconditionally. You would prefer a dog to... Yeah, that's my higher power. That's our world. That's where we live today. Jesus says, I come to give you peace, but not as the world does. And we got to do some real soul searching and ask ourselves, how are we doing in our practice of presence, peace, Christianity... Are we being hypocrites? Are we going through the motion? Are we playing church? Are we, in, are we just, ah, we don't, we're not here for any of that. We're here to have a real experience with the living God through his son, Jesus Christ. Whose faith, faith in whom resurrects our lives and heals us. That's our message. Jesus believed that message so much. That He gave up His life for it. And it won't transform you until you care about it, I believe, the same way. Five every hour. Let me close with this. I've told you these things, Jesus says in John 16. I've told you these things. So that in Me, you may have peace. In this world, you'll have trouble. We all know that. But take heart. Jesus, the one with no home, the one with no income, the one with no benefits, the one with no car, the one with no cell phone, says, I have overcome the world. God bless you. God bless the church. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit the Westsidechurch.com, or laicc.net.